1: Welcome to Light Years. Sam Escandiari here, sitting in for Andy Liu, Vignesh from GSW Fast Break, the Warriors blog at the Mercury News, the heir apparent to the blog father, Adam Lardson. Vignesh, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Sam. Great to be on here.
2: Happy New Year. Um, I'm glad to be chatting with you.
1: Yeah, so we're recording this right after the Pelicans game, Um, and yeah, like... I don't really want to talk too much about this because how much can you really read into a game without Steph and Draymond? And we can now say it without Clay because apparently he's returning very soon. But still, so, some things to talk about tonight. So like, let's start there. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on this game? Initial
2: thoughts, it's going to be hard to win games if Steph and Draymond and Clay aren't playing, if Jordan Poole doesn't score until 3.9 quarters of play have already happened. Right. On the flip side, what you saw in the last couple of minutes is exactly why the Warriors are so high on Jordan Poole um, and why I think most of Warriors Twitter was super excited when they saw the article on his development and growth in the athletic between Anthony Slater and, um, and Marcus Thompson, the second it's, it's a demonstration of potential and also kind of frustrating at the same time, because if that happens, maybe two or three, four minutes earlier, or even before that, the Warriors have a chance to win this game. But on the flip side, again, they got a ton out of their rookies in Kuminga and Moody, and they saw enough there to at least be slightly excited. Um, unfortunately, right now, the, I, I believe last I checked, Phoenix is blasting the Clippers, and the Warriors may get Clay back on Sunday, no longer sitting atop the NBA and the Western Conference. which is isn't a huge deal, but there you go.
1: Yeah, I mean, so you hit the nail on the head. So for me, this game kind of summed up Jordan Poole in in every possible way. Um, young player still finding his way. So if you're looking at this from the perspective of like, is Jordan Poole ready to play in a Western Conference finals? A game like tonight will make you timid. But then at the same time, a game like tonight is why I'm a, I'm a Jordan Poole believer, personally. It takes a lot of stones to play as horrible as he did. And not waver in confidence at the end of a game. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, his skill level 100%. probably isn't to where he wants it relative to competing in the NBA. But, like, and he is very skilled. But, like, in terms of he's going to get better. But, like, I'm not worried about him getting shook in a play. You know, really, that was my main takeaway from the play-in last year. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, like, in general, it, he's... He, he has like the mental confidence that like the staff, Clay, Draymond, like the, the players we've kind of associated with the golden era of the Warriors and everything. It's like, you know, he's whatever his ceiling is. I feel very confident he's going to hit it because I don't see a guy who's like going to get scared at the moment. 100%.
2: I think there was a, a moment right before he went nuts where he was kind of not sulking, but the body language is as he strolls over to the bench. And then he comes back out and does what he did over the last couple of minutes. And like you said, that takes stones. That's not easy to do. Um, obviously the Pelicans let their foot off the gas, just a hair, but it's still NBA players, still NBA competition. There's still a, a team that's a tough out when you're missing so many people for the Warriors. So I agree with you. I think he's a guy who you can't count on for production, but you can count on to always throw the ball up and, and put up shots and, and do his thing. Um, if, he
1: might be perfect under the right circumstances. If, he might be perfect for the six-man role, at least in the short term for that reason. Exactly. Like, what is a six-man? You're hoping someone who changes the energy of the game. He's always gonna affect the energy when he gets in the game for better or worse. And you, you know, go. we'll see we'll see what they look like when Clay comes back and and um you know, obviously Steph and And all that. And he's kind of in a more pure six man role instead of what he's been for this season, which is really just like the pure secondary playmaker and often with the starting unit. But I think I think it's going to really work for him in the short term. Um, And it's going to be it's going to be cool to watch because he I'm going to always associate the fight with draymond green on the sideline now that marcus and and slater gave us like the um the insight into the quotes what, what was the exact thing draymond was like complaining and he's like say it to my face in my face exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly step right up to him and that's kind of like for better i'm gonna associate that with jordan Poole in the best way possible going forward because it's like you know he may be a little inconsistent with the shot sometimes some of the passes he throws Although not not tonight, but like some of the passes he throws, you might not always. You're like, I don't know where he was going with that, but it's like he competes very hard, and he's not going to let anyone bully him. He's a gamer,
2: um, at the risk of oversimplifying it. He's a guy who has supreme. Let's confidence. throw every.
1: Let's throw every cliche out there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do it while we're here. Uh, gamers, supreme confidence, no conscience, memory of a goldfish. You get the picture. He, he's gonna put up every shot as if he has not missed his last 20. Um, and that's a good thing, honestly, for the Warriors.
1: Yeah. Um so let's get the second story of the game from a warrior perspective, Jonathan Kuminga. Um man, <laughs> do you watch yeah. Kuminga? Do you watch Kuminga like me and go like, good lord, if the Warriors can keep the development curve like going in the correct direction? <laughs> it's like just untapped potential. Like can blank canvas like can be just so good like just prototypical like wing with every two every time I watch him I'm just like kind of giddy at the potential he has right
2: I thought we had seen probably one of the highest potential players last year when James Wiseman did all kinds of crazy stuff on the court for better or for worse but the highs were so damn high yeah, And I look at Kuminga and I'm like, have we found someone possibly even more raw and athletic and, and skilled in some ways? Um, and yet in a, in a weird way, ready to be on the floor right now and kind of challenging for minutes. I think the lapses are going to be there. He's 19 years old. Um, he's like a, a decade younger than all of us, both of us chatting here. Um, and see for yourself, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, but every time I see him step on the court, he looks like he belongs. And yeah. I mean, today at the end of the game, the, the finish off the steel of the inbounds where his head is literally above the rim and he kind of just guides it home. My head was spinning because I'm like, we, we've kind of seen this before, but not this soon from someone and not with this level of consistency. I mean, his, his stat line doesn't jump out of it. He's got 13 points on 14 shots, but you got to remember six of those shots came on one possession where he kept tapping the ball off the backboard. Yeah. I was going to say that one,
1: up. that one possession. What well, I have not seen that from Kumenka. Um, All year. So talking about the possession was in the first or the second quarter. It was, uh, it was right around there. Um, Between the
2: first and the second.
1: It's not relevant, but he um, it's like a play. I associate with like Carmelo Anthony, like the bully ball, like, you know, misses a shot, gets his own rebound, misses it, gets his own rebound and this and and then puts it in. And it's kind of like, and he was doing against Jackson Hayes. who's a pure center and a very large human seven feet tall. And that was just kind of like, I mean, I think the thing that's jumped about Kuminga is like, he's super strong for a teenager who doesn't even have like a fully developed body. Right. Like he just natural strength. And that's one of those plays where like, dude, when this guy fills out like when he is in his mid twenties or late twenties and like gets like quote unquote grown man strength, he's going to be like, Kawhi leonard-esque where you know like Kawhi has those plays where you're like oh he just moved someone out of their way by virtue of the fact that he's got like monster shoulders and he's got like a strong he's just stronger than him right like that's like a the type of thing that i could see kuminga developing into with just the way he can use his strength
2: the play I remember speaking of Kawhi is when in the finals he kind of shed Looney, in, and I think Looney got hurt on the play. And yeah, dude, Looney,
1: um, Looney tore cartilage in his collarbone on that play. I know exactly the play you mean because I've never seen a, a center just fly backwards that way when he's got like elbowed from a wing.
2: Exactly, it's that it's that strength, um, and Kumika has shades of it for sure. Again, nineteen years old, that's. I just, I keep fixating on that number, not because, well, partially it makes me feel old, but also because there's just so much developmental curve. He's going to be one of those guys like Brandon Ingram, who played great today, by the way, who's like been in the year for seven years and he's still only like 24, 25, 26 years old. Um, That's a large development curve. And the other player, I think, who who has that pattern is Andrew Wiggins, who also had a, a great game today if you want to spend a little bit of time on him.
1: Yeah, we should definitely talk about Wiggs. So what did you think of his game? Steve Kerr did not close with him. And uh, when when Kerr was asked about that, he's like, just was going to ride the lineup I had that was working at the end. I mean, everyone knows this was a throwaway game. They were not playing their main guys. Like, if they had Steph and Draymond, A, those guys would have been inserted, and B, Wiggins would have been inserted with them. But Steve – he knew he had a quote-unquote preseason game here, right? Like, yep. he, he could play with it a little bit, even though they're going to fall out of first place. Uh, he knew, whatever, I'm going to see see what Kuminga has in the closing lineup. Uh, with that said, I thought Williams played a pretty good game. I don't know if I'd call it a great game or anything, though. Yeah, nothing spectacular. I mean, the box score
2: reveals the reality, which is his three-point shot went missing. Um, on the flip side, we saw a lot of aggression from him in a put in a pretty tough position, kind of, harkening back to his Minnesota days where it's give Wiggins the ball, get out of the way. pool has got nothing. No one else can really create their own shot. Otto Porter can kind of dance around screens, but it was really Wiggins or bust for a lot of possessions. And he did a pretty good job staying aggressive. Didn't settle for too many jumpers, um, despite being one of six from three, still finished seven of 17 from the floor. Um, Not a spectacular game, um, but there were a couple of flashes again that show kind of new things or simplifications to his game. That will only become more evident and pay bigger dividends once the Warriors get the spacing with Clay back, um, and I think that's a positive sign for the devs.
1: Yeah, for me it was. And I don't mean this as a negative thing. It just shows that he is a third or fourth option. He's not. Yep. He's not the guy. We but we knew that. I mean, it's like, yeah, when Steph and Draymond are creating everything and they are the two best players on the team he's wildly efficient finishing plays, cutting off the weak side, hitting catch and shoots. You know, he had like, how many eight for 12, nine for 14 type of shooting nights he had this year? You know, where it's just like, I I know it says he missed a couple shots, but I don't remember him missing a shot when exactly. I was watching the game and tonight it's like, all right, we're missing staff. We're missing Draymond. We need you to create a little bit and he becomes a little less efficient. And it's just kind of a, it's, it's like a simple reminder to who he is. Overall, I think it's a positive game because, like you said, uh, if this was Minnesota Wiggins, he probably also would have stopped competing. And that wasn't the case. I thought he was aggressive most of the way through. And I'm, I'm going to take that with him. Like my fear with Wiggins always like if he stops being aggressive, if he stays aggressive, right. I don't really care if he misses shots. Like it's going to happen every now and then. Uh, it's more about the mindset with him.
2: For sure. And I think the other piece is when we get to the Crucible of the postseason, Having Wiggins as a fourth option looks so much different than having Wiggins as a first or second, like you said, and that will be needed at some point. You know, there's going to be a game in the postseason where options one and two are misfiring and Wiggins has shown like as long as you give him a little bit of space and keep it simple and don't force him to do too much, he can be hyper efficient at that point. And I think tonight was the opposite end of the spectrum where we're saying, hey, everyone's out. Wiggins do something for us. His efficiency didn't win as much as I expected, and that's a positive. Put it in the bank, ride home to Chase Center, and prepare for Clay's return.
1: Yeah. I mean, you'll take it. Seven for 17, but 21 points seven times. So free throw line, like in general, I'll take that seven. Everyone's out. Um, By the way, shout out Brandon Ingram. Phenomenal player. Amazing. He is not to dwell on. Uh, pelicans players too much but like he is going to be zach levine or devin booker or what i mean by that is like the guy who whenever he ends up on a team that's not a flaming dumpster fire all the narratives about him not being a winning player are going to disappear and people are going to be like wow he is really good this guy's really good he's on he arguably plays on the least talented team in the nba when you consider zion's out and just like couple of the other factors on that Pelicans team. Like, I don't know, man, like Herb Jones looks nice, but like, that shouldn't be like the second best guy I think of when I think of their team, you know, like um, they're just, I mean, he's really stuck in a bad situation. I think he's going to be so good though, Or he is so good.
2: I I feel bad for him. Um, he's a casualty of, LeGM and, uh, of the GM and all the detritus of, of, of some of those trades. Um, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I thought the two standouts for me were Herb Jones everywhere, particularly on defense. He crushed the souls yeah, nice, of the Warriors. Nice find. Amazing find, um, and Brandon Ingram, of course, like the efficiency, the size, the shooting, the, polish. the handle. Yeah, crazy. Uh, he's like I understand, and I hate to compare someone to someone as incredible as Kevin Durant, but it's an easy comparison, right? Sure. You see the similarities. Kind of pogo stick, very skinny. Decent handle can shoot from anywhere, has feels the feels like they, to they
1: don't miss mid range shots like ever, yeah,
2: ever. Um, but someone who would really benefit from a change of scenery, I agree. Um, or a complete revamp of the roster because, um, what did I hear? Zion is rehabbing in Portland, Oregon, or something, he's
1: not yeah, even nothing, in Portland. Nothing, nothing about that situation seems healthy.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all You need indeed.
1: Let's move forward. This is far too much time spent on, on a, throwaway a throwaway game. game. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I feel like there's two big stories at the Words right now. Um, the first one is Steph Curry's struggles. So I'm gonna pull up some some numbers for you as we talk about. Obviously, everyone saw the Dallas game. Five for 24. We didn't pot after that one. I was going to do two for one here. Um, and then pre right before that, it was three for 17. Now, neither of those ones really bothered me because he's had back-to-back poor shooting games in the past. But if you take this farther back, since the 30th of November, Steph is shooting 36.7% from the field. 34.7% from three. We're talking 16 games for him, 17 for the team. He sat one game, what, well, 18 now. He sat two games. I don't think he's ever had a streak where he shot at this poorly for this long. And I have some theories on it, but I want to start with you. Like what what are your initial thoughts here? Like are you concerned? I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. I know I shouldn't be, but
2: it's part of the nature of fandom to kind of especially when the team is this good, when, when you see something like this happen, you, you're, you do start to like look around a little bit and be like, Hey, is anyone else worried? What's going on? I wrote about this in my last article. Um, and I shouted you out, it, it seriously looks like since November 30th, the Monstars kind of sapped his powers, particularly over the last couple of games. Um, and I, I have a bunch of theories as well and I'll throw them out there. I've got kind of the the pressure angle, the personal angle. Um, and then also, kind of some assorted ideas around rotation patterns and stuff kind of going in order. The, the pressure angle is a combination of things. The Warriors have put a ton of pressure on him and arguably Draymond's shoulders, but particularly on Steph to kind of carry the offense. And this is something that's extended for a long time. You throw into that kind of being the top dog again, like the hunted versus the hunter, the Warriors sit atop the Western conference are getting every team's best shot night in night out. Layer on top of that, the three-point chase, every three that he makes is now a new record, kind of extending that 160-game streak. I know Steph has said repeatedly, like, yeah, you know, I don't really care about it. That narrative shifted a little bit. And he was talking about, oh, I'm going to chase 16 against Portland. In retrospect, kind of amped up the intensity of everything around the whole chase. That's got to wear on someone, particularly over the last two years, when there is no clay as an outlet valve, and it's live or die by Steph.
1: Yeah. So, so let's start on the first one, the pressure one. So there, I feel like it's undeniable that when he was pursuing the record, so I'm talking like that early December, you could see it was wearing on him a little bit. Um, Other than that, I don't know that I think pressure is a thing. And it, I don't know that I buy that one. What I think is, um, stranger theory here and this is one that's been posted by Lightyear's listener tommy gunn and uh maples uh jason maples friend of the show has also said it and they've they've said he's hunting the three too much they think the look steph's always going to take more threes than anyone but like the decision to try to want to get 15 to 20 up a game and just completely avoid the mid range instead of trying to do a balanced attack balanced diet attack sorry guys um is leading to him being almost easier to guard and kind of instead of like one of Steph's best qualities is he plays in flow and kind of plays off the defense trying to get him to take threes has him playing out of the flow a little bit I personally don't know if I buy that theory, but I can see where it comes from because particularly over the last month, how many times have you seen him like pull back from a driving lane and try to take a three when it's like, buddy, that you had like a, you had, like there. A, nice, you had a nice free throw line jumper, right? Wide open. Just take it. You know,
2: I think the good sign over the last couple of games is results accepted. Steph did change it up, particularly against the Mavericks. He, he took, I think, after starting a woeful one for nine from from three. The rest of his shots were mostly inside. I know he put uh, a three up. He, the he end didn't the make the him, either, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they didn't go in. Yeah, there was the the process change was was good. Um, it was just one. That's one where I I definitely buy the idea that it makes the Warriors a little bit simpler to guard because towards the end of the game, the Mavericks were essentially calling out Steph' relocations before they happened. They had no kind of fear of him doing anything other than what they've seen scouted so much. And so I I do buy a little bit of that argument. I think another factor here though is, and and you've tweeted about this a lot, is just there are open shots that are just not going down. And we're not talking merely open shots. We're talking wide open shots that you'd expect a guy like Steph to can. And to see them not go in is kind of surprising. And it's been kind of that way for this this month-long period. And If those start going down, you know, the percentages start to go up. You have to respect them a little bit more. He gets into a rhythm, a flow. We're kind of on my third point, which is the basketball tactics and rhythm angle. Another thing to throw out there is the fact that the rotation pattern is not what he's used to. And it's been that way all season, worked fantastically early in the season. um, And Steph always said, you know, I'm not a huge fan of it. He likes to play the entire first quarter, come back in, six minutes left in the second, and so on. Um, But I think that can't help a notoriously rhythm and streak-based player like Steph.
1: Yeah, so so let's let's go backwards. So let let's work back to um, the whole hunting threes thing. Like the Warriors' offense, at least until Clay comes back. Like I would say, since the end of last year, they've leaned into basically we are going to put hyper pressure on you with Steph from three. Like they've leaned into the idea of no, he's going to take fifty of them. Literally 50, if you give it to him. And that's going to open up driving lanes for everyone else. And we're okay with Steph being less efficient because it opens up driving lanes. And it should be noted, during this time period where he shot the ball disgustingly, for his standards, by the way, he's been a positive in all but one, two of those games. Literally, even that Dallas game, he was a net zero. And he could not have played worse individually in that game. So like, it speaks to the strategy of like, we don't care if Steph has bad numbers, if it benefits everyone else. Um, With that said, like, I just don't think this team is going to go anywhere if Steph doesn't figure out his shooting, right? Like they're not, they're not going to win the title with Steph going, um, I don't know, six for 20, but it creating driving lanes for Andrew Wiggins, you know, (laughs) like they're going to beat the Sacramento Kings doing that. They're not going to beat the, uh, the best teams in the league later in the playoffs. So he's going to figure it out. Um, I honestly think the two theories I think are the most likely are fatigue because he's carrying an ungodly load and he is getting older and the ball. I legitimately think for a player who's as touch-based as him, I think he might be, He's said he doesn't like the new Wilson ball. I just keep pointing to that because I can't find anything else. Because when I look at it, he's missing so many open shots. Like you just mentioned that you look at his numbers, he's hitting contested threes at the exact same rate. He always has. He's missing open shots. Like you can't tell me that's a subject of too much defensive pressure when he's wide open, you know? No, it's not. But for his, for his standards, He's hit that, you know, coming off a curl with a defender five feet away from me, three pointer. Pretty much since college, he's missing it now, or he's just bricking it out now. Like I just, I I just, I think, I think one, I think he's going to inevitably snap out of it. But like, it's just bizarre because I've never seen him have a slump like this before.
2: There's always that annual kind of Steph downturn, but I agree, Sam. It's never been to this degree, and the weird part is there's been signs of him like busting out of it. And then he kind of slides right back into it. That's the weird thing. It's like when he slumped, it's like he's trashed for a series of games. And then there's the detonation at the end of it. It's like, ah, okay, now we're back. Right. This has it's been like, like up and it's down. It's like
1: against, um, you know, he was slumping and then he had the Sacramento and the Memphis exactly. game and you're like, Steph's back. And then on Christmas, you know, he was good on Christmas, but he was kind of inefficient. And then it just slumped right back into whatever the hell we're seeing these last like five games. So...
2: The real answer is probably some impossible to quantify combination of some parts of all the things we're talking about. It's like the ball, the fatigue, some pressure in some aspects, rotations. It's, it's impossible to know. And, and Steph certainly is is still kind of keeping a, a, an even keeled approach and I didn't expect him to do a post game presser yesterday, but he did, um, which I thought was good on him to kind of talk us through what he's going through. Um, I think the results will come. I'm not particularly worried. I'm kind of doing group therapy with you on this pod has helped me (laughs) feel a lot better about this. Um, He's going to snap out of it, and we're going to be laughing about this, hopefully. But I do think there are things in this um, that are worth the Warriors kind of looking at. the The biggest thing I think is how unidimensional does the Warriors offense get if they're hunting too many threes? And like you said, driving lanes for Wiggins or God forbid Looney in the postseason is something defenses will take all day. The cousin to that is at what point do the Warriors leverage Steph Steph's gravity to get Steph going, right, as opposed right. to leveraging Steph's gravity to get everyone else going.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's it, that's the that's the reality of it. They've Steph is we we make look. I've made a uh, a killing out of making fun of Westbrook for playing <laughs> martyr ball. You know, like like there's hero ball and then there's martyr ball where you know I will not let anyone else get a rebound because I will save the day. You know. In some ways, Steph is playing. They're playing martyr ball, where it's like I will take all five defenders on me at all times, so everyone else can thrive. Like he's playing like a kind of martyr ball that's actually beneficial to his teammates. So it's a different thing. But it's like at a certain point, he's your most talented player, and he can score with three guys guarding him. But like, shouldn't you be looking for ways to get him going? the The answer is, of course, no for this team because this team is like it's very clear that they like the fact that Steph lets them play defensive lineups that no other other player would allow them to play. Like there's no other player in the NBA who would let you play Gary Payton. uh, The second Andrew Wiggins, Draymond and Looney together. And there just isn't, but like, that is a just world beating defensive lineup. And so they're like, so it's going to be ugly on offense, whatever. We'll still come out with more points ahead. Those are the type of things Steph allows you to do that other players don't. I just wonder if it's long-term sustainable as we uh, get closer to the playoffs. I not want to say closer when I'm at the halfway point, but like at this point, the Warriors are for real and they're contending. So everything's with an eye to the playoffs. Um, but the, the, the flip side to it could be, it's as simple as this. Don't worry about it till you see what clay looks like when he comes back, because that's a player you put into lineups who commands not as much, but a lot of of defensive attention that's similar to him. And maybe this all goes away. Maybe we just have to deal with the fact that, like, look, Steph played this way, commanded all this attention, so the Warriors can get ahead. Do you really care about Steph's individual stats? Like, only because it's kind of fun to look at. (laughs) But in the the scheme of things, I'd rather the Warriors win the game than anything about his stats. And that brings us to what I want to close on this pod about, not 100% because we have a quote from Steve Kerr saying, Rick Celebrini will make the decision on Saturday. Granted, we always knew that's how it was going to go, but everyone and their mom is expecting Clay Thompson to make his return on Sunday. Uh, they flexed a game to get the Warriors there on Sunday, although Steph for seven Mobley is worth the flex alone. Um, and, you know, like all that sort of stuff. Let's talk about Clay's return real quick. Um, how excited are you for knock on wood Sunday night?
2: I, I don't know if you can hear the exuberance in my voice. <laughs> I've been told that my voice doesn't carry that well, but I'm giddy, man. I, I can't understate just how cathartic the experience of seeing a guy who has never shot a basketball at Chase Center, whose last the last vision we have him on a basketball court. I didn't even court, think. I didn't
1: even think about it from that perspective.
2: Like the last memory we have of him is him coming back to the chance of Warriors at Oracle to make through two free throws on a torn ACL and tell Steve Kerr, "I'll be back in five minutes. It's nothing."
1: Were you at that game?
2: I was not. I was. This is a, a weird kind of tangent, but I was on a plane traveling at thirty-five thousand feet to Europe for a for a music tour, and I was. Desperately, I paid United, I think, like 200 bucks in repeated Wi Fi attempts to try to get access to the game. The best I could do is, is track it. And eventually I saw the tweet like, Clay has gone down. I'm like, oh, crap. Um, I've never watched the entirety of that game. Uh, I refuse. Oh, so, like-
1: so I'm going to give you some story time. I went to that, yeah. I was at that game. Yeah. And so if you remember the series, first off, this will get forgotten in history, but the game five in which KD tore his Achilles. May have been Steph and Clay's finest hour. The final two minutes of that game was Steph and Clay basically doing what Ray Allen did in that game six against the San Antonio Spurs. They had everyone ready to rush the court. Toronto's going to win their first title in Toronto. And shout out to them. Like, I understand how that feels from that perspective. And Steph and Clay literally. With Draymond shoveling passes and Igudala on one leg, you know at that point Igudala looked very old. Um, they won that game, and if you go rewatch the end of Game Five, I would actually recommend watch the end of Game Five of the 2019 Finals to remind yourself of how special Steph and Clay are together, because um, it's. It gets forgotten into lore because of what happened in game six. six well, really what happened, what happened earlier in game five and then what happened in game six. Um, so I remember going to the game and in my head, I'm thinking they're not going to close that Oracle on a loss. And, you know, <laughs> given what's happened with KD, they'll probably lose in seven, but get through game six. No one knows what's going to happen in game seven. And that was the best basketball I've ever seen Klay Thompson play in my life through three quarters, I think he was 10 for 15. The numbers don't really put into justice the confidence he was playing with and just like the shot making he had. And when he went down, I just, it was, you could hear a pin drop in the place once everyone realized what happened. He walks back. Then when he walked out, might've been the loudest I've heard Oracle since their first playoff run in two thousand. 12, 13, obviously we believe was loud, but like in terms of the warrior runs, those first couple of runs were louder. And then of course, you know, people start coming and they get jaded and for, you know, as with success comes this, this expectation, you don't realize how special something you're watching is sometimes. Um, totally. With that said, it, it's still like one of the wildest experiences I've ever had watching the whole thing. No one in the crowd knew what was Anything. going on with him. Yeah. You kind of just thought, like, it's Clay. He's going to come back. It's going to be fine. You know, that sort of. And that was 30 months ago. Think about that.
2: 930, 38, 37. I forget the exact number, but it's an absurd amount of time ago.
1: I um, I, I shot it on Twitter because a friend sent it to me. But, like, the last time Clay played a game, Russell Westbrook was on the Thunder. He's been on four teams since then. Four. Uh, Chris Paul and James Harden were on the Rockets. Paul George was on the Thunder. Kawhi Leonard was in Toronto. Um, LeBron had, you know, he'd made at least eighteen excuses since then for why he hasn't done certain things. Um, I mean, we can keep going on. Anthony Davis was in New Orleans. It's just wild how much we ha- we didn't have a pandemic. In none of us put, knew what I didn't did Greek not, letters. I did not know what a pandemic was right then. Yeah. Yeah. Right now now it's, you know, it's, I'm just trying to figure out how to spell Omri Khan and not say Omarian. That's like my big, Um, it's just, it's so long. So, I mean, the pod we're going to do and Andy will be back before Sunday uh, and we'll do that one. But like the pod we're going to do after that one, it's, it's going to be hard not to watch Sunday's game and get super emotional.
2: I'm, I'm, I've already told everyone and, and, all my friends and everyone like I'm going to be locked in a bunker just glued to the tv and I'm going to have a pile of tissues next to me Uh, because (laughs) it's it's almost guaranteed and this is one of the weird things about sports right is you subscribe so deeply to a team you start to like get a feel for players and it's like you know them personally and I know like you know sports writers not supposed to use the word we it's like it's the team and you're covering the team all that jazz but as a fan kind of unabashedly we're like yeah this is our team I feel like Given how interesting and beloved of a personality Clay is, I feel like I know him personally. I've never talked to the guy, Uh, but it's, he's like a part of all of us as, as fans. He's a part of all of our lives and we've seen kind of him at his lowest and to be there to welcome him back when he hopefully soars to the top of the NBA again is going to be super cathartic for everyone. From a basketball perspective, like you said, Game six clay is a real thing, but that particular game six clay, I lied. I've seen highlights of the game. I just haven't watched the whole thing together. We're talking about clay at the apex of his powers. I, like, by
1: the way, I don't know if I could rewatch that game knowing what happened. If I didn't see it live the first time I might watch like parts of it, but I don't know that like I have the heart to start it from beginning to end. If I was in your situation,
2: it's the same with game seven of, of 2016. Like I watched it live. So I feel a little bit more comfortable knowing that, you know, Steph is going to get stopped by Kevin Love and Curry's going to hit a shot over his face. Um, but I, like I said, I've not watched the injury except on highlights and, but the highlights before are incredible. It's clay catch and shoot off the dribble, kind of summoning up offense to, to carry a team that was still playing Quinn cook, Jonas Jerebko, Alfonso McKinney, heavy minutes, because they had no other options. Like that is, like you said, apex warriors basketball, like the the crowning shining achievement, of, of staff Clay, Dre's tenure is like, we're out of bodies. Who do we go to? These are the people we go to. And eventually they ran out of steam, but not for lack of trying. So if we get Clay on, I've joked like last year, the Warriors should have just put Clay out there in a wheelchair to shoot threes from the corner because it would have improved their spacing more than what they had available. But if we get you know 50% of Clay, 60% of Clay, and it slowly ramps closer to 70%, um, the Warriors are going to be an amazing team they're already an amazing team and this just adds another dimension to it.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, so by nature, I'm just like excited to see what clay looks like and then just like engage in the nerdery, which is like postulating how that team will look going into the playoffs and everything. But I've told myself Sunday for one day, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to try to celebrate the fact that he's back. Um, the following game can be the game we discuss if you look slower or not, you know, <laughs> or, sure. or like, um, you know, just all the random stuff we talk about with basketball, like how we were discussing, like, is Steph bothered by the ball? Like that sort of stuff. Um, Sunday, it, it just feels like if if it's going to feel like a big family reunion in some ways, um, whether you're going to the game and to, for those of you who got those tickets to the game before the prices went through the roof, um, like, kudos golf clap to you whatever whatever you want to say cuz like you you on the jackpot but for everyone else who's watching it on TV and just going to be enjoying it through social it's going to feel like like a family it's going to feel like a family reunion in some way, because it's like everyone who follows the Warriors, particularly through social and like those channels, like you feel like, you know, everyone who posts every time the Warriors play, at least, you know, that part of them, like, you know, there's certain people you follow who are like, guys, a sarcastic, funny dude, certain people you follow who like the is falling all the time, certain people you follow who are like unabashedly, like always seeing the positive, right? All that sort of stuff. And it's just one of those seminal moments where I feel like everyone's going to drop the BS and just be like, man, he's back, you know, that sort of thing. And short of um, finals and stuff like that, like that, it's just going to be a very cool moment. That's all. I, that's all I have to say.
2: hundred percent agree. I can't wait till Sunday. I'm, I'm going to, I'm hoping this, this Saturday clearance from Rick Lurini is a formality um, because otherwise there's going to be a lot of people who are very upset with the prices they paid for tickets.
1: By the way, that's a lot of pressure, Rick. I, like, <laughs> yeah. I, would not, I would not want to be the doctor who like, because if you're wrong... Oh, that's, that's a yeah. it's, it's, it's bad look, but, um, but no, no, I'm just like, yeah, that's, I guess that's why I didn't go into the medical field. So
2: yeah, I, yeah, Dr. Rick has, has had some of these big calls over the years. So I'm sure he'll, he'll do what's right for, for the players and, and make sure that plays in good shape to go, but it's been a steady ramp up, right? We've, we've seen the videos, we've seen all the highlights. He looks ready to go. The rest is just going to come once he shakes off the rest and gets back into the flow of things. Sunday can't come soon enough. I can't believe it's three days away. i got to hold my breath for at least two of those and then get hyped for one more. It's going to be a long couple of days.
1: All right, Vignesh, appreciate you coming on. Anything you want to plug?
2: Nothing to plug. Go to blogs.mercurynews.com slash warriors to, to check out Fast Break. Um, follow me on Twitter if you prefer. It's Viggy Fresh. Um, definitely check out the blog and go Warriors. Can't wait till Sunday. Thanks for having me, Sam. Appreciate it.